Greetings, this is podcast number 99 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we're going to discuss yet another example of GOP racism, their recent attempts to disenfranchise African American voters. Let's get right into it. My sources are, and there are many, democracynow.org, and thanks to them for the audio I use here, gregpalace.com, an interview with Greg Palast on tenzenmonkeys.com, commondreams.org, USA Today, MSNBC, Slate.com, The Nation Magazine, The New York Times, The St. Petersburg Times, an L.A. Times story carried by the Sydney Morning Herald, thinkprogress.org, and The Washington Post. The modern-day Republican Party is not the party of Lincoln, Quite the opposite. Modern-day Republicans don't walk around in Ku Klux Klan robes, but the GOP has engaged in a decades-old and still ongoing massive and intense effort to prevent African Americans from voting. So Republicans might as well be walking around in Ku Klux Klan robes. The present-day GOP doesn't burn crosses. It throws African Americans off the voter rolls. Before we get into what the GOP did in the 2004 presidential election, you really have to understand where the GOP is coming from. Starting in 1968 with Richard Nixon, the Republican Party employed what was dubbed the Southern Strategy. It was designed to attract the votes of whites who were upset that the Democrats had lent their support to civil and voting rights for African Americans. This is not something right-wingers can deny. The late Lee Atwater was the grandpappy of all Republican dirty campaign strategists. In fact, Karl Rove was a disciple of Lee Atwater. In a 1981 interview, Lee Atwater described the Southern strategy. Now, when I read what Atwater said, instead of the racial epithet that rhymes with trigger that Atwater uses, I'm going to instead use the term N-word. Atwater told his interviewer that, quote, You start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. By 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. Backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now that you're talking about cutting taxes, and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is that blacks get hurt worse than whites. Close quote. There you have it, right out, literally, in the open. The premier Republican strategy guru admitting to a blatantly racist agenda. A note to my right-wing friends who may be listening. Please don't bother to send me the Sean Hannity talking point that a greater percentage of Republicans than Democrats voted for the Civil Rights Act. Yes, back then, the Democrats had a racist wing, the Dixiecrats. The split back then wasn't Democrat-Republican. It was conservative-liberal. By and large, liberal Democrats and liberal Republicans supported the Voting Rights Act. Right-wing Democrats and right-wing Republicans opposed it. But after these civil rights laws passed, the Republican Party, the GOP, 
became the place where racist voters and politicians migrated. The Republican Party flipped from the party of Lincoln to the party of the Southern strategy. Let's remember, who's the biggest right-wing icon of all? Invoked in sacred terms in the recent GOP presidential primary debate, Ronald Reagan. Was Reagan a racist? Did he follow the Southern strategy? How about, I report, you decide. Right-wing icon Ronald Reagan opposed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Reagan opposed the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Campaigning for president, Reagan went to give a speech outside Philadelphia, Mississippi. It was outside Philadelphia, Mississippi, where the three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, were murdered for helping African Americans register to vote. Did Reagan come to express sorrow for their deaths? No! He praised states' rights! Remember what Lee Atwater said? That term was the equivalent of saying N-word, N-word, N-word. Reagan did this at the very place where the civil rights workers were murdered. There's more! Reagan opposed making Martin Luther King's birthday a national holiday. And as president, Reagan refused to join the rest of the world in pressuring the South African government to end apartheid. Archbishop Desmond Tutu condemned Reagan's South Africa policy as, quote, immoral, evil, and totally unchristian, close quote. And Archbishop Tutu said that Reagan's policy, quote, encouraged the white racist regime into escalated intransigence and oppression, close quote. So you see, the modern-day GOP doesn't have a very good lineage on the racism issue. What we'll now get into preventing African Americans from voting even has come up in the recent congressional hearings into the firing of the federal prosecutors by Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez. More on that later. Let's now quickly go through a chronology of GOP efforts to remove African Americans from the voting rolls. The method we'll be talking mostly about is called vote caging. Caging is a term used in direct mail operations. When you send out a mailing and letters come back as no such person lives here, etc., you remove that name and address from your mailing list. Vote caging is using this process to remove people from the voter rolls. Ronald Reagan took office in 1981. That very year, the Republican National Committee's vote caging operation its voter suppression operation against African Americans got underway. The RNC sent out a huge mailing targeting predominantly black neighborhoods in New Jersey. 45,000 letters came back as undeliverable. Those names were used to create a challenge list. The RNC also, quote, sent off-duty law enforcement officials to the polls and hung posters in heavily black neighborhoods warning that violating election laws is a crime. Close quote. The GOP used the same tactic in 1986 in Louisiana. Based on a party mailer being marked return to sender, the RNC tried to have 31,000 voters, mostly African American, removed from the voter rolls in that state. The Republican Party was sued and, quote, 
the consent decrees that resulted prohibited the party from engaging in anti-fraud initiatives that target minorities or conduct mail campaigns to, quote, compile voter challenge lists, close quote. What's a consent decree mean to right-wingers? Not a whole lot, apparently. Before the presidential election of 2000, Governor Jeb Bush of Florida and his Secretary of State Catherine Harris succeeded in disenfranchising large numbers, I don't know if it was thousands or tens of thousands, of African-American voters, not by caging per se, but by erroneously including them on a list of felons who, under Florida law, can't vote. George Bush won Florida and the presidency by only 537 votes. And then in the 2004 elections, the GOP explicitly went back to vote-caging big time. Vote-caging operations in battleground states such as Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Florida targeted hundreds of thousands of urban voters. In Ohio, a federal court found that the GOP had violated the 1980s consent decree. The state I'm going to focus on here, in particular, is Florida. Much of what follows about the year 2004 GOP efforts to suppress the African-American vote, which of course usually runs about 90% Democratic, much of the following information is based on the work of uber-investigative reporter Greg Palast. A weekly visit to his website gregpalast.com will be amply rewarded. How Greg Palast uncovered this story is a hoot. A friend of his ran a spoof website, georgewbush.org. That's as opposed to the real GOP website, georgewbush.com. Well, some poor Republicans got confused and were sending out email using the spoof.org address. So instead of 500 of their missives landing on the laptops of state GOP party leaders, they ended up in the mailbox of Greg Palast's friend who promptly turned them over to said Mr. Palast. And these emails were about caging. For example, the subject line read, Caging, and attached lists containing the names of thousands of voters. In these 500 emails, there were 70,000 names. Palast and others did some painstaking research into the demographics. They determined that 98% of the names were in African-American majority precincts. The other 2% were in areas around Miami with large numbers of Jewish retirees. The Jewish vote also traditionally goes heavily in the Democrats' favor. How were these names compiled? The right-wingers sent out hundreds of thousands of letters to African-American majority precincts marked Do Not Forward, Return to Sender. I believe the letters were sent requiring a signature. If the person wasn't there, the letters came back to the RNC. And then those names are put on the caging list. And guess what type of African Americans were among those, if not particularly targeted, in this scheme? Soldiers! How disgusting is that? Two of the emails, which were intended for the Bush Florida campaign's executive director and the national campaign's research director, listed, quote, 1,886 names and addresses of voters in predominantly black and traditionally Democrat areas of the Jacksonville, Florida Naval Air Station, close quote. 
Why did the letters addressed to the soldiers come back undeliverable? Because many of the soldiers are stationed overseas. Here's Greg Pallast. We looked page after page, and I have a page here if you, on the radio, you just have to take my word for it, <laughs> but uh, a page where every name says Naval Air Station, Naval Air Station, Naval Air Station, Naval Air Station, page after page of African-American soldiers, sailors, and seamen who were targeted on the challenge list to have their vote challenged. How? We called, up, uh, we called them up, their families. And one, for example, Randy Prousa was one was the first one we got. He said, where is Mr. Prousa? Is he really at this address? Is he a fake voter? He said, well, Randy's been sent overseas. He's shipped overseas. These are soldiers, black soldiers shipped overseas to Germany, to Baghdad. And now they're being challenged by the Republican Party because they were not at their voting address. How could soldiers even defend themselves against this? If they send in an absentee ballot, they wouldn't even know their ballot was being challenged. Just like the right-wingers planned. According to Palast, African-American students who would be away on vacation and the homeless were also targeted. So that's the vote-caging scheme that the misaddressed emails exposed. After the break, we'll continue on with this saga of GOP voter suppression efforts. Your one-minute voting report. Thank you for voting. We bounce back up from number eight to number six on the Podcast Alley Top Ten. What I've discovered is the higher up on the Top Ten, exponentially more the number of new listeners we get. So please keep those votes coming in, and maybe we can go up on the list even higher. I think we can get up to number four this month with a major effort on your part. If you listen to the podcast and don't go vote, I think you're not living up to your part of the bargain. You're getting two hours a month of a podcast you like to listen to, and all I'm asking in return from you is 10 seconds of your time once a month to go vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley. Right now would be a great time for you to do so. And if you subscribe through iTunes and you haven't gone and written a five-star review for Blast the Right, Please go do so. A bunch of right-wingers go and give me a one-star review, and that really lowers my average. I'm trying to get my average on there back up. That will also, believe me, help garner lots of new listeners. Thanks to each and every one of you for your support. I really appreciate it. You may be wondering, in these vote-caging schemes, how are the challenges to a voter made? Two ways. First, before the election, the Republican National Committee will ask a GOP state attorney general to remove a voter from the rolls, on the grounds that the person doesn't live at the address they put on the voter application form. The GOP alleges that the person is falsely registered. This could prevent a person from being allowed to vote when they get to the polls because they'd no longer be listed as registered to vote. Or, as I just indicated, 
This could also prevent an absentee ballot from being counted. The second way is the GOP puts one of its minions at the polling station, and when a person on the list appears, the GOP operative challenges his or her right to vote. The voter will then be given a provisional ballot, and after the polls close, election officials will determine whether to count the provisional ballot or not. African-American leaders at the time, back in 2004, denounced this right-wing scheme. Quote, Black leaders called the list another Republican effort to keep blacks from voting. Said a Jacksonville minister, Lee Harris, quote, This is just another tactic they're using to frustrate and discourage black voters in Florida. It's unfortunate they're resorting to these tricks against African-American voters in the entire community. Close quote. Unfortunate, yes, and also outrageous. How did the GOP respond to these charges? They did quickly admit the authenticity of the documents when questioned by the BBC. The BBC? I didn't mention. Greg Pallast, who's an American, primarily has been reporting for the British Broadcasting Company, which, unlike the American corporate-owned media, will run Pallast's explosive stories. Even though admitting the authenticity of the documents, right-wingers denied in 2004 that these caging lists were really caging lists. Quote, Republican officials say that the list merely records return mail from fundraising solicitations or letters sent to newly registered voters in Duval County, ostensibly to verify their addresses. A senior advisor to the Florida Republican Party, Mindy Tucker Fletcher, said, quote, This list was not compiled to challenge voters at the polls, and it will not be used for that purpose. Close quote. Yep. Now, the explanation has changed. The person who back in 2004 was GOP Deputy Communications Director and sent out those emails, his name is Tim Griffin. Sound familiar? More on that in a second. Tim Griffin said this past February, quote, The real story is this. There were thousands of reported illegal fake voter registrations around the country, so some of the Republican state parties mailed letters welcoming new voters to the newly registered voters. The Republican state parties ultimately wanted to show that thousands of fraudulent registrations had been completed. Close quote. Ah, I see. There were thousands of fraudulent registrations that the Sunlight Party, the Full Disclosure Party, the party that has nothing to hide, the right-wing dominated GOP, was going to expose. Well, what happened? Greg Pallas points out that he can't find a single prosecution for such voter fraud. I've heard Tom Hartman say that there have been no more than 40 nationwide. Whatever the number, what's clear is there haven't been thousands. Okay. Now on to that fine human specimen, Tim Griffin. He's at the heart of the Alberto Gonzalez scandal over the firings of the federal prosecutors. Tim Griffin, the director of the GOP's African-American voter suppression caging operation and a protege of Karl Rove, was Gonzalez's pick to be U.S. attorney for the state of Arkansas, which of course just happens to be the state where Hillary Clinton practiced law and her husband Bill Clinton was governor all those years. What a small world. Just a coincidence. Anyway, Tim Griffin's appointed interim U.S. federal prosecutor for Arkansas after the sitting prosecutor is fired. 
Now it gets even more interesting. In the recent congressional hearings, a top assistant to Gonzalez, Monica Goodling, was granted immunity and thus forced to testify. Gonzalez's deputy was named Paul McNulty. Monica Goodling told the congressional committee that when McNulty testified before the committee, McNulty didn't tell the truth. A right-winger not telling the truth? Say it ain't so, Joe. Goodling said that Gonzalez's deputy, McNulty, failed to disclose that he had some knowledge of allegations that Tim Griffin had been involved in vote caging during his work on the president's 2004 campaign. Failed to disclose that he had some knowledge of allegations that Tim Griffin had been involved in vote caging during his work on the president's 2004 campaign. Since Goodling had been granted immunity, it was in her interest to spill the beans about everything illegal she could possibly have been involved in so as to create immunity for herself regarding those actions. She knew enough to get the vote caging operation on her immunity list. Here's where we are now in trying to expose the vote caging operation and punish the individuals involved. Greg Pallast has been providing information to House Judiciary Committee Chairman John Conyers. And lo and behold, guess what happens when, according to the BBC, Conyers requested the BBC's evidence about Tim Griffin's involvement in the voter caging effort. Griffin resigns as interim U.S. Attorney for Arkansas. But that resignation isn't going to save his butt, hopefully. Quote, Conyers, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee investigating the firing of U.S. attorneys, met Thursday evening in New York with Pallast. After reviewing key documents, Conyers stated that, despite Griffin's resignation, we're not through with him by any means. Conyers indicated to the BBC that he thought it unlikely that Griffin could carry out this massive caging operation without the knowledge of White House Deputy Chief of Staff Rove. Close quote. Carl Rove, Lee Atwater's heir, Tim Griffin's mentor. Even if they're not stopping the Iraq war as they were elected to do, it's still a good thing that Democrats now control Congress. Before the Democrats took control, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission had called for a criminal investigation of the GOP caging operation. But, Pallas says, the Bush Justice Department simply ignored that recommendation. And then George Bush fired those commissioners who had voted for the investigation. According to voting rights experts, Vote-caging operations aimed at minorities violate the 1965 Voting Rights Act, the very 1965 Voting Rights Act that right-wingers like Ronald Reagan opposed. The Republican vote-caging operations, of course, also violate the consent decrees we discussed earlier that the GOP agreed to in the 1980s, prohibiting precisely such anti-minority activities. The thought may have occurred to you what are people like Tim Griffin doing in the Department of Justice? Justice, charged with enforcing the Voting Rights Act, not charged with figuring out ways to violate it. Well, Griffin actually fits right in. I would be remiss in a podcast about GOP racism not to remind you of the other ways the Bush Department of Justice has pursued an agenda of emasculating the Voting Rights Act and approving anti-minority actions by their fellow Republicans. 
For the details, check out Podcast 21 and 62. Here, I'll just briefly describe a couple of the right wing's neo-Southern strategy methods. One is the Bush DOJ approving a modern-day poll tax which comes in the form of so-called voter ID laws. Quote, The actual reason for this bill is the political calculus that certain kinds of people, the poor, minorities, disabled people, and the elderly, are less likely to have valid ID. They are less likely to have cars and therefore to have driver's licenses. There are ways for non-drivers to get special ID cards, but the bill's supporters know that many people will not go to the effort if they don't need them to drive. If this bill passed the Senate and became law, the electorate would likely become more middle-aged, whiter, and richer, and its sponsors are anticipating more Republican, close quote. Career lawyers in the Department of Justice opposed this law, but were overruled by Bush political appointees in that department. A federal court struck down the voter ID law. Two would be the Bush DOJ approving dubious redistricting plans in Texas. Six career lawyers and two analysts in the department's own voting rights section determined that the plan would violate the civil rights laws by diluting the voting strength of minorities. Again, Bush political appointees in the Department of Justice overruled them and okayed the Texas redistricting. Even the John Roberts Supreme Court found that the redistricting did violate the 1965 Voting Rights Act in Hispanic areas. Third, quote, President Bush's attorneys general have systematically gutted the Civil Rights Division, driving out the career lawyers and shifting the division's focus from civil rights enforcement to deportations, other immigration matters, and human smuggling. The administration has filed only three lawsuits regarding discrimination in voting. All came this year, and the first accused a majority black district in Mississippi of discriminating against white voters. Close quote. So there you have it. GOP racism, a long history of attempts to appeal to racism and at the same time suppress the African American vote. Lee Atwater's Southern Strategy, yelling N-word, 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 in effect, 2007 style. Karl Rove has learned well. Just this week, Senators Edward Kennedy of Massachusetts and Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island asked the Justice Department to investigate the 2004 vote caging. I think an independent investigation, such as the type John Conyers indicated would be undertaken, is an even better idea. By whatever means, we progressives must continue exposing this GOP racism. The GOP seems addicted to it and isn't going to stop unless they're forced to. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at PodcastAlley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. Thanks to Scott from YourAverageIdiot.com for help with the audio on this show. If you subscribe through FeedBlitz and you've been getting multiple notices from them, I apologize. I've told them about it and hopefully they will correct the situation. And if you subscribe to Sirius or XM Satellite Radio, please drop me a line if you think there's a place on one of their channels for them to run Blast the Right shows. Music Credits
The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber and Not the One Blues by Burnshee Thornside. We'll close with a bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Please do keep all that great email coming in. I'm still behind, but I am catching up, so be patient. I am going to get back to you. My address is rational at adelphia.net. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also reach me on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. There's a Vietnam vet with a cardboard sign Sitting there by the left turn line A flag on his wheelchair flapping in the breeze One leg missing and both hands free No one's paying much mind to him The VA budget's just stretched so thin And there's more coming back from the Mideast War We can't make it here anymore That big old building was a textile mill It fed our kids and it paid our bills But they turned us out and they closed the doors We can't make it here anymore 